imagine not only being dyslexic, but also being in the prison system. Did you know, across the world, up to 40% of people in the justice system have a learning disability? Speech pathologist and criminologist Rosalie Martin is an accredited facilitator with the Centre for Courage and Renewal, with more than 30 years' experience in the sector. In 2013, Rosalie founded a charity called Chatters Matters Tasmania to bring literacy and parent-child attachment programs to Tasmanian's Risdon Prison. In 2017, she was awarded Tasmanian Australian of the Year for all the amazing work she's been doing within the prison system. I'd love to welcome to the show, Rosalie. Thank you for coming on the show, Rosalie. It's really exciting to speak with a fellow speechy and you're the first one I've interviewed on the show. So thank you so much. (laughs) Um, So you originally trained as a speech pathologist and then moved into the criminal justice system. How did that all come about? Well, I started doing some volunteer work at the prison um, because of my, in my years as a speech pathologist, I have uh, worked with a lot of people across that time with literacy acquisition difficulties of various types, language related and sound processing related and combinations of both of those two. And so gradually over time, I've accrued a bank of experience and understanding about how to work with that group of um, you know people that have that kind of difficulty. And I was just really conscious that, uh, that, you know, there are so many disadvantaged cohorts in our society, people who have genuine needs, whose needs actually, you know, if they were to receive the right kind of service and input, could really be shifted and uh, in, in really positive ways. And so I was holding this information and um, and I think conscious in my mind that people in the justice system, in, in particular, it was the prison here in Tasmania that I first approached, um, didn't have access to speech pathology services and you know thinking well the best way to get started is to get started I um, I literally just rang the prison one day and asked to be put through to the education section of the prison and I spoke to somebody there about a little about what I was able to do and the knowledge base that I'd accrued and experience that I'd accrued and asked if I could come and talk about what I knew how to do and the person and the people in fact not just that initial contact but the rest of the um, the team within education were extremely gracious and they invited me uh, to come and present to them welcomed me really with open arms and I think that that this opportunity and this work got a foothold there was certainly due to um, the desire amongst the people already working in the prison to see good things happen for prisoners and to see people in prison receive opportunities that um, you know that you know that would be supportive for them and they were able to be extremely honest and aware of the fact that they didn't um, have the kinds of um, skills that I was talking about, that they didn't have those skills present within the system. And so they they, they truly were gracious um, in saying, you know, come and show us what you can do. So initially I did a presentation to them and, you know, just presented on language and literacy and how those two things are connected to each other and uh, some of the processes about teaching literacy that are really important to have in mind when people haven't been able to learn literacy in a normal way. There are really particular 
particular things that we need to do to support that um, learning. And there are particular assessments and understandings that we need to have of the way that they process um, sound-based information in order to do that work well. And so we talked about all of those things. And then, um, you know, I was seeking to do a small pilot. And uh, and so they said, okay, well, we think we've got a participant who would, um, who you would be able to work with. And he's got very high needs in that he's not able to read. He only had about 20 words that he could recognise by sight, but he wasn't able to decode novel words at all. And certainly, you know, he would say of himself, I'm not a reader and I can't read and I can't write. And, uh, but a very sunny man, a very um, lovely personality, very warm. And uh, so he was the right kind of guy to get started with really because he was somebody who would stick with the program. So it would give us an opportunity to, to see what we might learn. And, and that's how it started. Wow, it's so exciting because there's not a lot of speeches in Victoria that I'm aware of. There was one young speecher that had started, I don't know if you'd heard the SPICE project that Speech Pathology Australia did, yes. And so because of that, actually, I did a little bit of tutoring at Parkville Justice Centre when I was doing speech as well. And I really opened my eyes to the need for speeches to be working in the prison system, particularly because if the research is correct globally, that 40% of people with dyslexia and learning disabilities end up in the justice system. So it was a really great initiative. I'm not sure if it's still continuing at the moment, but it's great that you've been able to access the corrections down in TAS. Yeah. Well, actually, Laura Care's work in the SPICE report, so as you know, Laura Care was the speech pathologist that conducted that work, um, the, she released her report in 2013, which is the time that I was actually making approach to the prison. So the timing for me couldn't have been better with the release of Laura's report because, you know, there was this brand spanking hot off the presses um, piece of work that, you know, had drawn together, you know, so many of the evidences that underpin why we would need to be doing this. And so it was, you know, just terrific. And it was, it really supported the advocacy that I was seeking to make because I was able to share that report with uh, the director of the prison here in Tasmania. I was also able to share it with the Attorney General um, at the time and with various other key people um, and invite them to engage with that report to give a little bit further uh, you know, evidence-based backing to the things that I was um, talking with them about. So yeah, I know that piece of work well. It was terrific and yeah. a good jump off here in Australia, I think, to um, you know putting some practical application behind and uh, the research, for instance, that um, researchers like Pam Snow have been doing across now a number of years and to be, you know, start to be bringing that into, a, into delivery of services. Mm. Yeah, well, it's so very important because they're the ones that end up the most vulnerable when they're young, young boys and girls that end up disconnected from education that can end up down that track yeah, that um, people were supporting when they were younger. So what programs have you put into the... Um, correction system that you've been working with? Well, the work that I've been doing uh, in literacy in the correction space has all been in the prison, so it hasn't extended into um, uh, community sentencing, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the work that I've been doing with literacy has been uh, pro bono, and so that's only been able to inch along in the, way, you know, in the amount of what I have capacity for as a volunteer. Um, and 
but, you know, we've shown some really remarkable changes. It wasn't just that one fellow that I worked with, there have been a small number of others as well. Um, but because of the connections that we then made within the prison uh, system, it made it possible then to set up some other work within the prison. So we've also been doing uh, a, a parent-child attachment program. So we've been offering the Circled Security Parent DVD program within the prison. And initially we started doing that with mums in the women's prison and we ran I think 11 cycles of, of that it's an eight-week program um, and it teaches parents who participate in the program how to be connected with their children and how to make meaning of their children's behavior based on the principles of secure attachment and how to think about themselves in and in the way that they may have been either securely or, or maybe not so securely attached with their own parents but it eliminates the question of blame altogether and instead lifts the fact that uh, you know we can step on from the position that we're in now and we can continue to learn and we can grow in positive ways and that that growth in self and in understanding is something that we can bring to our children and that that can be really change making for our children and positive for their futures so it covers all of that kind of um topic uh, specifically around and around attachment and always bringing the links back to uh, attachment and it's done in a reflective dialogue method and it's extremely both beautiful and powerful and the mums that we've had doing that you know engaging with us in those programs have really loved it and benefited from it and so that's led on to uh, then starting a little bit of work with the men in minimum security at the prison here and so we've now run two cycles with men in minimum security but because of the uh, positive engagement with that work and the you know the, you know, the good evidence behind it and behind the importance of bringing attachment you know teaching and support around secure attachment to populations that have experienced trauma and a reduced opportunity for secure attachment really um you know we were able to make some noises and have some conversations and and that's led to now the state government funding us for a, an amount of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is a really fabulously good starting place yeah. for 12 months to be able to bring that program more abundantly to um to parents and Often people will ask, you know, how come speech pathologists are working, you know, teaching parenting programs? Like, what's the connection there? And, um, you know, as you know, Shay, um, the, when we wind the roots of our language development right back to their origins, of course, they start in the tenderness and the turn-taking and reciprocal exchanges that happen in the parent-child relationship. And if that relationship is not secure, then the roots of language, those seeds and those roots of language development are disrupted. So from my point of view as a speech pathologist interested in language development in children, which leads on to literacy development, um, then actually nurturing those early roots is a really, really critical part of what we're seeking to be doing. And, you know, we support 
parents that we're working with to make those links for themselves and to understand how this language growth in their children that can be supported by secure attachment and tenderness and you know the love and care that they have for the children um, how these things do link to language and how they then do go on to link to literacy and uh, and so it inspires um, not only you know in transformational moments and behavior change um, but it also inspires hope and and hope is a really important factor in this because you know when we um, have hopes fired up again we step into a different place of uh, you know that is much more positive it's an invitational space to be able to imagine what we couldn't imagine before and out of that grows inspiration and aspiration and um, you know desire to continue to put will on change so all of these things weave together quite sweetly well, it sounds like a beautiful program and it's interesting you use the word hope because that's actually um the theme for our first inaugural gala ah, this year okay. is the theme around hope and linking um poor literacy skills and dyslexia around hope because um, some latest research has come out that 46 percent of people with dyslexia may have attempted suicide and um, a lot of people with dyslexia face high levels of anxiety and depression. And so the theme is around hope and the importance of literacy and what you're talking about, about linking language and connection and all of that. And so I like the word that you've used because it's a really important word, um, giving people hope. And I don't think people realise the connection between language and um, how that is so important in the world we live in, in so many different ways. Mm. And this mm. is just one example, really important example of that. Mm. Yeah, I've been expressing it this way to people that, you know, our very agency as human beings really grows from our language and our communication skills. Mm. And arises, therefore, our agency as human beings arises in those tender moments of connection that supply the opportunity to learn language and the opportunity to become socially connected with those around us and to learn social skills which contribute then to our society and contribute to our opportunity to be citizens within our society and to contribute to democracy and it's no small thing it's it's enormous and um and language is at, is, is at root yeah ah, it's a lovely way of putting it and very much what we're about at the foundation it's at um, our core around yeah that language is how we connect um yeah to the world and that's how we become, and you know, you have poor literacy skills and then how do you connect with social media and, you know, the written word and everything we need is through language and um, we need to, that being dyslexic shouldn't stop you from being able to connect through language, whether it's through the written word or verbally. Mm. So it sounds like an amazing program. Tasmania is very lucky to have you running this at the moment well I, I feel very privileged to um to i feel very privileged to live in tasmania it's an extremely wonderful place and i feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to be able to um you know gradually put some wheels on some of this work and i'm really grateful for um you know the relationships and the connection with uh you know with others within uh, the systems that are operating here uh, to, you know that there's been you know this little bit of a shift in order to make space for some of these um awarenesses and to take up these um concepts which are uh you know 
it shouldn't be new, but in, in some ways are. I think that um, you know, the speech pathology profession is um, standing up and is able to say, well, actually, you know, the work that we do and the understandings that we have really matter this much for society. It's, uh, you know, I think because our work has come, you know, broadly out of a medical model we've done a lot of work in clinics over the years but there's a very there's a great importance in um a social understanding of the way that we <clears throat> the skills that we have and the way that we work so a social model of health if you like mm. yeah i'm grateful that um that we've been able to have conversations in which people have been willing to listen and engage Yes, I feel um, particularly when I graduated, the lack of understanding around what speech pathologists did if you're not in the medical model. And I mean, I started in rehab, so people knew what a speech you did in rehab. But outside of that, uh, even now people say, well, what do speeches do with people with dyslexia? And so to have to explain um, what that means. Um, yeah, so we still have a long way to go, but I think, yeah, we're a lot more out there now than even so. years ago, which is great. Yeah. I think, even, so. I think all speech pathologists should be activists. That's yes, right. we need to be. <laughs> we, we do. We really do, yeah. We, we've got a treasure trove of understanding and knowledge about um, what creates agency, as I was saying before. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and through what we do, then people start to realise the importance of language and we don't just help people speak. <laughs> no, that's right. As people assume. <laughs> And on that piece about, you know, the dyslexia and, uh, you know, making those connections, I've been expressing it this way, which is that, you know, our written language, if you like, writing that we might choose to read, a page of text, say, um, it's language. It actually is just language. It's language that's been placed on a page and it's placed on a page using a code that's based on speech sounds. And so because obviously our training and background is in uh, language and it's also in uh, processing and production of the speech sounds, then we've got training that brings these two essential elements to the the, the challenge, uh, which we know people with dyslexia have of being able to figure out how do you decode this, how do you actually get at this information that's that's written down on the page, and um, yeah, so uh, it's you know it's, it's training that supports that. It's a good way of explaining it. I'll have to try that next time. Feel free. <laughs> There's a lot of activity happening in Tasmania I've seen um, over recent years around literacy. So there's been a big push. So is that how um, Square Pegs came about, so your organisation? Well, actually, Square Pegs and um, Chatter Matters started to, um, you know, they put their little uh, flags in the ground, if you like, or hung their um, shingles on the door, or however you would wish to express it, at about the same time. So I met up with Amelia Jones, who uh, is the chair of Square Pegs, um, and who was the, the founding thinker behind Square Pegs' work. Um, we met together in 2013, just at the time, I think that I was just heading into going into the prison, it was around about that time. So, um, so Square Pegs are our very good friends. We have joined hands with them in lots of ways over lots of things. And, you know, we recognise that we're each uh, doing uh, in, you know, work that is valuable. And, you know, they've done a tremendous amount of awareness raising and bringing training to Tasmania uh, around dyslexia specifically. Uh, but, of course, the links to what we're interested in doing is Chatter Matters, which is the charity that I founded, uh, 
which is around uh, language and language and how language flows into literacy. So both language and literacy and communication and positive relatedness. Now, all these things are connected. So square pegs are you know, particularly working in that dyslexic space, but we embrace that and they embrace the understandings that we bring. So, you know, it's very, it's really very beautiful to be, um, you know, to have that kind of harmonious understanding of a shared patch and and sharing the patch with good grace. It's been lovely. So we really value what Square Pigs have been doing. I guess because Tasmania's small as well, it's good to be able to partner and work yeah. um, together on things like that. So you've totally. got that support. Mm. So have you noticed in the prison system when you're working with these families, what their literacy skills generally when people are coming through do you get to evaluate the family's literacy skills and you've noticed trends around? Mm. Do you think there's a high proportion of people that have learning disabilities that are coming through or? Mm. On that, I, um, you know, about the national data and, you know, the data worldwide that really shows very clearly that there's a disproportionate number of people in the justice system who have measurable communication difficulties and challenges and literacy challenges. With the work that we've been doing in the parent-child attachment program, for instance, we're not measuring the language of the parents. Uh, We would like to, but um, at this point in time, we don't have um, the funding or the opportunity to be able to add that in as a thread. We're actually really delivering the nuts and bolts of the work that we want to deliver to them, which is in that parent-child attachment space. Um, With the other work that I've done in literacy, both in the prison, and I've also been doing some work with outside of the prison system with um, men who have been formerly homeless and uh, you know the measured it's the results of the assessments and things that we've done there uh, generally show that you know we can show that there are challenges that in language and in literacy that you know, through our tools that uh, can that can be supported uh, so yeah we've seen that these are problems but we know how to we know how to respond to those problems that's the really important thing I think one of the things that I've spent a bit of time reflecting on over the last few years as I've been doing by doing this work and seeking to advocate by meeting with politicians and you know senior public servants and various others who are interested in this space who um, who have influence and have their hands on the levers of power as people like to say I have observed that as competent communicators, that uh, who have who have you know risen in their lives into these positions of influence, often there's not a really deep understanding of how privileged we are, one is, to be a competent communicator, because when we're competent. Um, as communicators, actually, we've always been competent. We were competent as three-year-olds. We couldn't say so many things and we couldn't use so many concepts in language, but we were still competent for a three-year-old. And so when one has found language easy, it feels like language is just there to draw upon and you should just be able to draw upon it. Um, but in fact, when people haven't found language easy, or for whatever reason, you know, say it's a language disorder or um, you know, dyslexia, or uh, there's been trauma in people's backgrounds so that the violence of home and the uncertainty and insecurity of home has depressed the opportunity to develop language skills, then language is not just there to draw, to draw upon. And it's very easy as the privileged communicator to respond to that situation with a judgment because, for instance, for a privileged communicator to respond to, say, a question with, you know, just only 
you know, single syllable responses or to respond in a rough kind of way. For the privileged communicator, it would be a choice to do that. It wouldn't, you know, if, if I spoke to you roughly right now, Shay, it would be my choice to do that. It wouldn't be the only thing, the only uh, skill that I've got to draw upon. And so it's not understood coming from within one's own skin that for me it might be a choice, but for another it might not be a choice. It might be that they don't have those skills to draw upon. And I think that that's been a really important part of the conversations that we've been having here in Tasmania over the last couple of years is seeking to um, you know, understand a bit about uh, who we are as privileged communicators and that indeed it is a privilege. Uh, it, and as I was saying earlier, it's also part of our agency, but if it's uh, agency that we've gained through privilege, then from the point of view of human rights and compassion and care for the fact that we're all human beings living in a shared world, then to me it just makes you know absolute sense that we seek to share that privilege with others and give them the opportunity to be you know, to reach their potentials and to be the fullest that they can be, to make the greatest contributions that they can make to this world. We're actually, as a society, we're missing out on the creativity and the fruits that they could potentially bring to society if enabled. So everything about enabling makes sense. And also from a community safety point of view. I work in Aboriginal health and I have worked with quite a lot of people that have come from trauma the language they use to express themselves when they are frustrated or angry or uh, in distress is um, the root of what you're saying and, you know, the way that they, the words they're using, they actually, they don't have the tools or to actually be able to use other, other words to try and explain what's going on. Yeah. And so, and an example of that would be using, um, by swearing all the time because they actually don't have the word, the descriptive words to say how they're feeling. Yeah. Um, so instead they will just swear at you mm. because they don't know any other way to try and explain. So even though you know that, so you know that they're upset, but that's the only way that they can express that. Um, so it's interesting that you're talking about that and linking it back to trauma and, you know, growing up and not having that attachment and not being shown ways to express yourself and having the words to be able to express yourself. Yeah, that's right. And, mm. yeah, so the, the trauma and oral language competence mm. and all of those things. No, that, that, that it's exactly right. And so the emotion is being is felt and is being expressed. And as you say, there's not a, um, you know, a fine uh, grade of uh, different emotional terms that can be can be drawn upon and so you know one or two get drawn upon all the time and then it's very it's too easy for privileged communicators to make judgment about that and mm. and I think this you know inquiring um, about our, our own privilege is a really important thing to do I think in many ways not just in relation to communication and language I, I think in, in, in many areas of um, you know the way that we might name privilege up in, in our society and, and structure but in this space I think it is important so that uh, you know, people can understand and have a different kind of empathy um, and give space to hearing somebody's story and, and develop from that compassion 
Uh, you know, that we know that these ameliorators, compassion and empathy, flow from really being able to see the situation of another person. And, and that also means inquiring of the judgments that we might hold and where those judgments uh, might have been rooted and sourced. So, um, yeah, it all matters. It's conversation. So, so, um Tasmanian government or the justice system over there looking at putting in more speeches to support um, people so that they've got more advocates to talk about? Because, I mean, looking at the SPICE project and, you know, if someone's been arrested and they're under stress, then their oral language is going to be impaired. So their ability to give a narrative of what's happened can be impacted because, they're, you know, their recall or their way of being able to explain what's happened can be um, impaired if they've got poor literacy skills. So we've, there's enough evidence now to show that um, people need to be supported. Is the Tasmanian government looking into how they could put speech pathologists in to support people um, in the justice system? There's a lot of conversation that's happening here around that. And uh, at our university, we have the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute. It's one of the institutes within the university. And uh, former Attorney General, Vanessa Goodwin, um, the late Vanessa Goodwin, um, she set up in 2015, I think it was, she began a process or asked the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute if they would do some research into the value of having um, communication intermediaries within the justice system. And so the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute did that work and their report is now available on their website and they recommended very strongly that we should be bringing in intermediaries at all levels within uh, the justice system and justice processes. And so, yeah, that piece of work has been done, done well. The report is fabulous. Uh, the recommendations are strong. And, um, and I guess, you know, it's incumbent upon us all to keep the conversations going about that. Mm, fantastic. Certainly from my point of view, that is what we would love to see happen. Yeah, I'd love to see the work, that type of work found, that the foundation can advocate for. I mean, particularly just my short time um, at Parkville and doing the tutoring and um, seeing the young boys there, their literacy skills and how much they needed that support um, was just so evident, mm. that, you know, to be able to support Laura and the work she was doing and to be able to try and help roll something out in Victoria. I mean, it's really needed. Mm, it is needed. And I mean, the really wonderful thing is that, you know, we can get really, really fabulous differences in a really short period of time. You know, and I know that your um, organisation, Shay, you're interested in particularly working with and uh, thinking about the needs for the over 16s. And, and, you know, and I certainly in my experience in this, I have seen with the adults that I've worked with and young adults as well, we've worked with um, some uh, young people in their early 20s, um, as well as older adults, you know, adults up to, you know, in their 50s who haven't been readers. And, and actually they respond incredibly quickly because they bring the fullness of who they are and they know the challenges that they've experienced in their life. They can articulate those challenges and, and how it's been difficult for them. And then when they do engage with a piece of work to learn to read and there's that hope there and a security for them in the teaching relationship whereby, you know, they can they can sense that, oh, I'm working with somebody, you know, they, they know what they're doing and I feel well held by this person. When we bring all of those things together, they, they make amazing progress because they've 
because they want to and we support that motivation by uh, creating for them tasks to do that are the are at the exactly just right level of challenge and so it's not too easy it's not too hard it's exactly right and because they're then experiencing success at this level of working that is exactly right for them tailored to them as an individual who has been seen and understood then they they, they naturally succeed and then that reward of success which is intrinsic in learning when we're learning well mm. actually just you know it just flows and yeah. so um you know of course i've got some little tricks in my sleeve uh you know to make the you know the the time that we're working together enjoyable but actually what i find in a very short period of time is that i don't need too many of those tricks because the success itself becomes its own reward and so when people genuinely experience that success then they want to go on to learn more they become hungry learners and often you know the, you know some of the uh, the chaps that i've been working with they would not could not have been described as hungry learners when they were at school say uh, but when we can pitch it to them just right then they become hungry learners and they and that hope is opened as well yeah. and they, they go on to bring all of who they are and all of what they know about themselves and their dreams to the work that they're doing and yeah it can be absolutely transformational and it can happen i found in a really short period of time you know three or four months and um people who said i'm not a reader i can't read are reading and writing and one of the things that i have been asking our clients to do as soon as possible because as you know writing is the fast track to reading success you know we don't want to just have people reading we want them writing as well and when they engage in activities that develop their writing as they're you know simultaneously with learning uh, their reading uh, they they do better they go faster and so one of the things that i've been getting the guys to do is to write reflectively as soon as possible and that means that they're writing about um topics then that are actually deeply interesting to them and yeah. but they might be quite deeply personal um but you know there is an intrinsic motivation for you know in that sense of journaling and you know thinking about who i am as a person so there's a lot that comes together in that there's the actual practice of the writing but also you know there's the it's tapping into sort of that emotional responding now the guys share their work with me so they know that i'll read it if um they want me to but if they write things that are personal that they don't want me to read then of course i don't read them and that's their choice and it's always their choice but what i find is that very often they actually do want to share that material because it's part of who they are as a person that is there on the page and it's been um you know moving and important for them to put it on the page and when they're writing it if they know that i'm going to read it and i'm going to honor what they have written and the the effort that they've put in and the you know the work that they've done as well as the content then they come you know they you know it, that's also a, a different kind of there's a different motivation for writing that comes out of that they know yeah. that it will be read and and it will be honored so always and i use that word and i use it intentionally because if people who struggle in a skill and writing is a skill go out of their way to make effort for me to put something down on the page and that was hard work to do then you know actually how could i not honor that you know i i know that i don't the things that i can't do well i don't want to have to put them out to be seen do you know this that yeah. again thinking of it from you know for internally and from a 
you know, a personal point of view, um, you know, I can see that what they're, what they're doing is enormous. And, and of course, then that becomes, you know, the writing that they produce gives us occasion to talk about various aspects of their lives and gradually get to know them better as a result. It supports the growth of the trust between us. And it also provides me with opportunity to then you know, pick up elements of that um, processes of their, or their written work, to pick up elements of that to then either work on particular aspects of spelling or punctuation or sentence structure or whatever some of the other more speechy driven goals might be. Particularly if we look at when young boys and men become disengaged, I think of my younger brother who left school at 16 and we were lucky he ended up going into a trade but it was too late for him when we found out he was dyslexic. He was diagnosed at the same time I was when I was 27 and by then he disconnected from school, disengaged altogether. He doesn't read and um, if you can get young boys reconnected in reading and writing and talking about their feelings then it's a holistic approach to helping them heal, to take away the shame the embarrassment that they're, they're struggling in an area that seems so easy to everyone else mm. and they're able to rebuild that confidence for them and to help them feel it's okay mm-hmm. and to be able to share those emotions is so important and to be able to build trust like that so mm. it's fantastic. I, no, I, I agree with you Shay and you use the word heal right there and you know if one engages with the literature in child trauma um, you know, one, one sees this word used a lot. And if one engages in the literature, you know, the criminological literature, particularly around restorative justice, one sees this word a lot. And as we engage also um, you know, with our Indigenous um, population, one hears this word a lot. Mm. And you know, I really, I think it's important. We can talk about human rights from within a strongly languaged rights framework but I think there's also great importance and value in understanding human rights from that wholesome holistic heart-driven understanding the needs that we have as human beings and bringing those together so having you know both the legal frameworks around this but also having um, you know the shifts within us as people and how we think about these uh, concepts in a way that um, that makes us more willing and able and compassionate and empathetic around understanding the challenges that other people have and being supportive to help them heal, but also understanding that, and I've often said it this way, that you know, the thing about reciprocity is that it's reciprocal and, um, you know, and that reciprocally in these kinds of conversations, you know, we, we are all healed, you know, we are all flawed. And um, you know, so I think the word heal really matters. Well, I mean, that's how the foundation really came about was in my head. I always wanted to support young people, particularly when I worked as a speech to young boys, I could see their struggle. And once they left the school system, like where did they go if they had a language um, disability or disorder, what happened to them? And, you know, that language and literacy is a basic human right and that we shouldn't leave our education system without having those basic skills I just, for me, I just felt it was wrong. And for people with dyslexia, we shouldn't be letting our children down where they leave school without being diagnosed and without having the right supports and interventions 
that, you know, we shouldn't be in our country like Australia where that's happening. Yeah. And so that's where the, you know, our foundation is around that basic human right, that literacy is a basic human right that we should have. And it's about that compassion for people. I agree, I agree with you. And, you know, you said, I think it's wrong that people are let to leave school unable to read or you, or you expressed it somehow like that. It's wrong with the words you used. And I really agree with you. It is wrong um, you know, because it is so fundamental to being able to make access to, uh, you know, to participate in society. We absolutely need these skills. Um, yes, it is wrong. And I think there's a piece in there also about... And this is where I think there's a you know a shift that's needed broadly in the narratives that we hold in uh, unconsciously probably in society about the fact that it's possible to make change for people who uh, have dyslexia or for people who have come from trauma backgrounds. And I I don't think we've broadly held that this is even possible. We've kind of um, I think that we've We've kind of thought of it as, uh, you know, some people can, they've got the skills, they can do it, and others, you know, unfortunate for them, but they can't. Um, and, yeah, I think that we just need to keep challenging that and keep telling, you know, telling and sharing stories that really challenge that, that show um, the change that can be made by, um, you know, in language and in communication and in literacy by, mm. um, you know, in intervention and support that is generous and kind, but also evidence-based and, um, you know, and that it's not just faffing around with the idea of developing literacy skills, but it's actually doing what the evidence shows, but doing that with a holistic generosity. And then we, we do seek change and we need everyone in our society to understand that those changes are possible. Yeah, and that's what the podcasts uh, initially are about, sharing those stories, because we hear so much about the high flyers like Richard Branson and Steve Jobs supposedly had dyslexia as well. And, um, you know, they're great role models, but we need to be able to share stories of everyday people that have everyday successes, whether it's holding down a job or getting through school and going to TAFE and then getting a job or, you know, getting married and having a family or whatever your life may be, that we're able to share those stories through podcasts and through the foundation and through your work. Mm. And mm. You end up in the justice system and you come out the other end, but you can read and write and you go on to do something. It's sharing those positive stories so that we can see all different walks of life um, and what that means for people. I really agree. Yeah, it's, and it's a match with the with the great themes of story, isn't it? You know, mm. uh, pain and problem experienced, and and then redemption and yeah. and transformation. And I, I agree, storytelling is so powerful. So well done. Thank you for doing what you do, Shay. Well, well done to you. And you were um, acknowledged for your amazing work as Tasmanian Australia of the Year for twenty seventeen. Oh. So congratulations, that was an amazing achievement for you. You must have been feeling very honoured for that award. Was that for all yes. the work you've recently been doing with the justice system? Uh, thank you. So uh, so the nomination, I guess, was made in 2016. And at that point, we'd, I'd been working for three years with um, you know, working with sm only a small number of men within the prison, but we'd also started the program, um, the 
what we what we call the Just Time program, the central tool of which is the Circle of Security Parent DVD program. And yes, yeah, someone noticed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, someone noticed the the work that I'm doing and uh, I was doing, and to this day I don't know who that was. So. Oh wow. <laughs> He chose to remain anonymous and, and I don't know who it was. I know it was a woman and I'm fairly sure that she wasn't a speech pathologist, but I don't know that for sure either. And, um, yeah, it's been an incredible honour. Look, honestly, something that I could never have predicted. I certainly wasn't doing what I was doing, going after an award. Uh, and, I, honestly, I could never have predicted it. In fact, when I received the notification that I had been nominated, I had actually just come out of the prison and had been, I'd been working there that morning came out and I was just checking my email before I took off in my car and I saw um, something from the National Australia Day Council and I opened it up and said oh someone's nominated you for Australian of the Year and you know the first thought that was in my mind was oh someone's persistent um, and the reason I thought that was because someone had nominated me the year before as well and then I never heard another thing and honestly I expected never to hear another thing so it was truly amazing to have found that uh, you know, that I uh, became a finalist and then that it was my name that was called at Government House by Her Excellency on the day that the award was given. So yeah, I'm very grateful and I'm really most grateful that it has provided a platform for being able to share a little bit more about this work and why it matters and that you know it's also obviously helped to elevate uh, the profile of Chatter Matters, the charity that I founded and the work that it is doing and so in the way of that great privilege of being able to carry this work before me um, I'm extremely grateful yeah, and, and I do feel extremely honoured yes I, I feel fortunate I feel like the sky opened up and something amazing happened to fall on me that is how I felt well it's amazing because that's how I found you actually was because I get alerts um, on literacy and dyslexia every day and that's how I found you so I was very uh -huh. grateful because I really love showcasing the work that's happening in Tasmania because there has been quite a lot of movement around literacy and um, Four Corners did a big show on literacy last year and so I really um, want to try and promote and raise awareness about what's happening down there and particularly because of my passion around justice and literacy as well it just aligned so nicely with what we're yeah. trying to do over here so I was so excited to see what you were doing so congratulations mm. again and I mean we've been lucky because we've interviewed Daryl Quilliam around the 2610 and then recently um, Rufus Black who's moved down from Melbourne to become the Vice Chancellor of Tasmanian University and to share his story of um, being dyslexic so it's mm. really great to be able to interview a third person from Tassie now yeah, thanks, Jane. You know, we are. We're very fortunate to have you know some really passionate ambassadors here, and um, it's great. And it, right across the state, and from all sorts of backgrounds, and that really matters. Yeah, it's fortunate. Well, thank you so much, Rosalie, for coming on the show, and also to Chatter Matters and to Square Pegs because you have been supporting the Do Dyslexic Foundation, particularly via social media sharing our stories and our podcast so thank you for your support as well but it's a pleasure been, we love you guys we love joining hands thank you it's been a real privilege talking to you today um really really appreciated your time and to share the work you're doing it's great and thank you for advocating for those in the prison system they need more people like you out there supporting them and doing the great work you're doing so thank you so much have a wonderful afternoon thank you shay thanks for the opportunity
If you'd like to hear more about all the wonderful work that Rosalie at Chatters Matters has been doing, head to the Dear Dyslexic website to find out more. Also, if you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all the work that we are doing at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there's anything you've heard today that you've found distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue, 1300 224636 or Lifeline 13 14. Thanks so much for joining us today and until next time, bye for now. Yeah.